You're listening to Unmuted with Papa Mutes. Welcome to Papa Mutes, everybody. Today, my guest is Julie Clark. Julie Clark is the New York Times bestselling author of The Ones We Choose and The Last Flight, which was also a number one international bestseller and has been translated into more than 20 languages. Her most recent book, The Lies I Tell, which I recently completed, is awesome. She lives in Los Angeles at 6 a.m. and she's wide awake. Julie, <laughs> welcome to Papa Mutes. Thanks for having me. Have you always been an early morning person? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is when I get my writing work done. So I wake up about 3.45 or oh. so, have a big pot of coffee and get to work. And I'm usually done with work by 6. Now, when did the the writing bug hit you? And I'm not talking about like writing for college. And you know, when did you say, I want to take it to the next step and, and see if I can get something published and sold? Um, you know, it's something that I've wanted to do from a very young age. I spent a little bit of time in my 20s really entertaining it seriously, taking some writing classes, writing some short stories. Um, but I just wasn't really ready yet to make that leap. So um, I, you know, didn't didn't go that route. I got my teaching credential. I've been a teacher for the past 25 years, um, you know, single mom. So I've been busy. And it wasn't until probably 2013 that I really said, you know what, that's still something that I want to do. I want to try it. And so I just wrote a book to see if I could do it. And it wasn't very good. And I workshopped it and I revised it and tried to get a literary agent with it. And I couldn't. And so I wrote a different book and that book ultimately was what got me my agent and what got me my first book deal. And so I would say um, all of that happened. So I, st I would say I started writing for real in 2013 and got my agent three years after that, my book deal one year after that, my first book published in 2018. So Awesome. Now, were your yeah. parents uh, writers or in the creative arts any form? No, uh, I, my mother was a real estate agent for many, many years. So um, I drew heavily upon growing up in a real estate family for the lies I tell. There's a very big real estate, you know, con that's pulled in that book. Um, <laughs> but I also, uh, my dad is a musician. I mean, very talented musician, although he doesn't do that for a living. Um, my brother is a comic book artist. My grandfather was a, you know, painter for fun and fairly talented. Uh, my mom is also fairly talented as a painter for fun, but nobody really um, has made, I mean, my brother and I make our living doing our art, um, but no one else in our family has done that. Awesome. Now, nowadays, as you know, people can just Google the lies I tell and get a, an idea of what it's about. So for people who haven't heard about it, they're tuning in, they're not, you know, what is the lies I tell about? Okay. The lies I tell is the story of Meg Williams, who's a con artist traveling the country under assumed names. She's creating elaborate backstories to back up whatever lies she's telling. Um, but she's not just grifting for profit, though that is a nice side gig. She's really building her skills as a con artist. She has one big con that she's been planning and thinking about for over a decade. And it's a man in Los Angeles who she believes is responsible for 
the destruction of her childhood. Um, he stole their family home out from under them and had her living in her car um, at, you know, right out of high school, her mother had passed away. And so she wants to return to Los Angeles and balance the scales of justice. You know, he got away with something that he shouldn't have. And so she has this big plan to build her skills, figure out how to be really, really good at this. And she does many, many years of practice. Um, but what she doesn't know is that there's an investigative reporter named Kat Roberts, who is in Los Angeles waiting for Meg to return. And Kat was collateral damage on a con that Meg pulled many years ago. And Kat blames Meg for the destruction of her life. And so as the two women sort of circle each other and befriend each other and start becoming more and more intertwined in each other's lives, it's suddenly unclear who's the cat, who's the mouse, who's conning whom, um, and, and what what either of their targets really is. Are any of the characters in the lies I tell based on people you knew? Not that you hung out with con artists, but how yeah. do you come up with, like I'm reading it and I'm saying, wow, somebody could really do this if they're a con artist. How do you know that's correct information for being a con artist? You know what I mean? Uh, a lot of research. I, you're right. I don't. None of the characters in the book are based on anybody, but a lot of a lot of research. So I did a lot of research on con artists. Um, I listened to a lot of true crime true crime podcasts. Well, there's a lot out there. Uh, yeah, and there's a lot out there, um, specifically on you know con artists and how they sort of build their skills and weasel their way into people's lives. I read a great book called The Confidence Game by Maria Konnikova, which sort of handles the psychology of con artists and the psychology of their targets as well. What makes people fall for these outrageous stories that the rest of us from the outside looking in are kind of like, why didn't you see this? You know, And, and con artists are really, really good at you know, picking their targets, number one, um, and making sure that they are, you know, finding vulnerable people who have needs that the con artist then figures out how to give them what they need. Now, how do you come up with the title? Is that like, do you just work book a bunch of titles? Because it's a perfect title, but are you asking yeah. other people or do you just come up with a bunch and... I'm not great at coming up with titles. So we workshopped this one for a while. Uh, my publisher, Sourcebooks, does a lot of market research. So we had a lot of title options that we test marketed, basically. And this one was the one that test marketed the best. So that's how we that's how we do that. Now, how long is the process from the initial idea to it's on the shelf being sold? What are we talking about? I guess it varies with different books, but just for people that might you know, have, have no idea, you know? Yeah, it does vary for book by book. Um, generally the pace that I've been on, this is lies. I tell is my third book. Mm -hmm. Um, I generally publish a book every two years. So once we choose came out in 2018, the last flight came out in 2020, the lies I tell in 2022, I'm kind of on pace for a 2024 publication of my next book, but you know, every book is different. Mm -hmm. I prefer to spend about a year writing a book, really getting into it and getting into the weeds of it. And then, and then another year of editing with my editor and getting it into production. 
um, that takes another year at least. So normally um, with both the Lies I Tell and the last flight, you know, we went into production at the end of August, um, copy edits, page proofs, and the book goes to print sometime in probably February or March of the following year for a June publication. So it's a full year. Okay. So is the joy of writing for you the process? I should, is it the writing or is it when it's completed and you're out doing, you know, podcast and signing books, which is the joy? I mean, they're probably both enjoyable, but which is more joyful? It's interesting because, I mean, they're both very much different parts of the same job. Um, whatever stage I'm in, I'm glad I'm not in the other stage. Right. So like, it's <laughs> so like the, like last summer, for example, I didn't release a book and I had several close friends who were releasing books. And I just remember happily working on my edits. Like, I'm so glad I'm not releasing a book this summer. It's crazy making. I don't want to be doing that right now. Mm -hmm. I'd rather be doing this now this summer. I'm thinking, I'm so glad that I didn't have to work, spend my whole summer working on edits. I get to go out and talk to people and sign books. And this is the fun part of, you know, writing a book is meeting all my readers and traveling yeah. all over the country. So I, I think that, you know, I, I enjoy whatever, I'm lucky, I enjoy whatever stage I'm, I happen to be in. And I know that, you know, there are pros and cons to both. And so just appreciating the one that you're in makes it a lot more fun. Now, when you found out a New York Times bestselling author. In other words, this, do you get notified? You know, hey, Julie, this is, you know, Joe Smith. And I know it's probably a number of sales and stuff, but how are you officially given that so you can actually promote yourself that way and not being fraudulent? Um, the, the list generally comes out to publishers, editors, industry people first on Wednesdays. Um, it usually hits around 1 to 2 p.m. my time. Um, and so if you're on the list, your editor will call you. Your editor will call you and be like, guess what? And it's all very exciting and, you know, lots of screaming and yelling and jumping up and down. Um, like and winning then, the Oscar. I mean, it's like. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and, and it is it's based on sales for sure. Mm -hmm. But it's not it's it's a very. um no one can really figure out how how it's all weighted and how and how it works. The New York Times likes to likes to be very mysterious about that, um, and so you know it, it's kind of hard. You, it's hard to know, but it is based. It is for sure based on sales, um, but how they weight different sales at different at different you know outlets, they keep that kind of hush hush. It's awesome. Though. I mean, it has to be thrilling to be uh, able to put that in front or behind your name. It's great. Um, besides great. the talent to write, what other qualities does a wannabe writer need besides talent, obviously? What else would they have to have to get books published and, you know, the whole process? Um, you know, you really you really just have to be persistent. You have to you have to understand that. There's a lot of rejection in this industry. A lot of a lot of agents say no. A lot of editors say no. A lot of publishers say no. A lot of readers say no. Um, and so you have to be always, always working um, on your next idea. So I think the mistake I see a lot of a lot of um, 
writers who are early in their career making, who, are, who aren't yet agented, who aren't yet published, uh, um, attach to one idea and insist that this idea is their best idea. And my experience is always, if one idea isn't working, you got to come up with another one. You know, if you get a call with an agent who maybe wants to represent you, one of the questions they're going to ask you is, what else are you working on? What else, what other ideas do you have? Because they don't want to work on just one book. They want to work on a lot of books. So you need to have ideas ready to go. Um, and if one isn't working, if, if, if you keep getting no, 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 I mean, I, I do think sticking with it and revising it and taking notes and keeping on with that process is important, but there does come a time where you need to say, I think I got to try something different, you know, right. got to move on. Do you think writing can be taught? And I, I don't mean formatting paragraphs and stuff. I'm talking about creative writing. Do you feel someone who, I don't know, is not creative can be taught to be creative? I do. Um, I think that, you know, I think that you have to understand what your own voice is and figure that out. Um, and for some people that takes a long time. Um, but I definitely think that by studying excellent writing, you can also become an excellent writer, you know, by looking at some of the great authors out there and really taking their books apart and figuring out what makes them work so well and what, and, and also reading books that aren't very well written can also teach you a lot, you know? So if you're not liking a book and you're a writer, I would encourage you to finish it and try to figure out what didn't work and what would you have done differently to make it work? I think that's an important exercise to take. Um, and, and that will just build your skills. But, but I think, you know, if you read a lot, you know, you don't need to go get an MFA. You don't need to do any kind of graduate work to be a successful author. I mean, I didn't, I don't have my MFA. Okay. Um, but I think that, you know, if you want to write, you have to read heavily, 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 heavily. You need to read a lot because that's how you're going to see what's selling. That's how you're going to see what works. That's how you're going to get a feel for the, the way books are paced and marketed and, you know, finding your own voice is all a part of exploring other people's voices. Excellent. Now, who do you read? I read everything. Um, I love all different genres. I, I write thrillers, but I love reading upmarket women's fiction. I love um, historical fiction. I love some light fantasy every now and then. Um, yeah, I'll read anything. Okay. Now, when do you read? But the reason I'm saying that, if you're in the midst of writing, I mean, writing, yeah. I'm, not a, I'm not a writer, but it's hard. I mean, yeah. to me, I'm reading books. I'm like, Jesus, how do they, you know, it's a hard thing to do. Can you be in the midst of writing and, and like, I don't know, put it, put it down and Saturday afternoon read somebody else's book? Or is that I can. I mean, I, I do my writing in the morning when my, my mind is fresh and open and kind of a little bit softer than it is in the afternoon. Um, and so I mostly read in the afternoons, you know, I'll read sometimes at lunch and um, I'll definitely read after work in the evenings um, and on weekends. I like to read. So I'm, I'm reading a lot. So know? it doesn't it, like you're reading. Oh God. I mean, you know, there are two very separate parts of my brain and two very separate parts of my day. Um, and um, I haven't, I haven't had that problem. Have yeah. you had any, uh, books option for TV 
I have. All three of my books have been optioned. Now, when you say option, correct me if I'm wrong, that's like they're looking at it. Um, they're considering it or is it beyond that stage? Yeah, an option means that a studio or a producer or both um, would like the option to turn your book into a TV series or a film. And so they will pay you some money to hold on to that option so that nobody else can make it, right? It's almost like they're renting your story idea for a certain amount of time. Um, and in that time, their work is to find a writer for the project, maybe find a studio for the project if it's just a producer that's not attached to a studio. Mm -hmm. um, it often will involve, you know, getting other people to sign on to the project as well. Um, options are often renewed. So like, if you if you um, if they don't do it within a set period of time, they can renew the option for another set period of time if they feel like that is something that they keep wanting to pursue. Um, and so and so when they have all of those things in place, it would require, you know, a pilot to be written, maybe even, you know, a full outline for if it's a series, you know, multiple how, how the series is going to begin, middle end, like an outline for all of that. Um, and then and then a studio needs to say, like, yeah, we want to make it. And then it goes into production. And at that point, um, they buy it, which is which is a different amount of money oh, that's exciting i mean just knowing yeah. it's there it's like wow it's just you know yeah that, yeah i mean it's thrilling it's nice to it's nice to know that you know people envision your books on a big or a small screen like that's just really exciting so which if, uh, your choice which one of your books would you like to see into a movie um i actually prefer books that i write um i think that they would probably be better as a tv series that's just my personal like i don't think a film is is like for the last flight for example a film you would lose a lot probably of eva's backstory and eva's storyline simply because in the time you have okay. allotted it just isn't enough time so i and as a viewer i'm more of a tv series like i like to really get into character and get invested in the world and get invested in the time and the place and the families and you know with a film is you know it's only two and a half hours but I mean it's hard to say like I can't I, I'm not you know since all of them have been optioned I'm not going to pick a favorite okay you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry I, I guess whoever can get it made first of that's course the one I'm okay thinking. makes sense yeah. reason I ask is I have a segment I call name that movie now mm. are you a movie buff or, not really no you have watched movies i'm, I'm assuming yes you, of yeah. course okay yeah. so this is simple stuff this is uh name that movie very simple kind of okay. off the off the grid here i'm going to give you a name of a movie and you tell mm -hmm. me who the star was very simple if i said rocky obviously it would be sylvester right. stallone so that's right. an easy one you are uh, not playing my strengths here i'm bad with star names too but okay i'll do I my think, best i think you only need one to get a uh some papa mutes merchandise so Oh, all One right. correct. Here we go. All right. So name that movie with Julie Clark. Who starred in the movie Pretty in Pink? Uh, Molly Ringwald. Correct. I'm talking about, you know what you're doing. Well, but, I mean, if, I didn't know we were talking about movies from the 80s. I mean, that's my childhood. So uh, there we go. Well, I, mean, did, I, I have to research a little bit here. Are we doing like John Hughes movies? Because we could go deep into those. You could. Um, yeah. Dead Poet Society. Uh, Robin Williams. Two for two. She's on fire. 
Edward Scissorhands. Johnny Depp? That is correct. Misery. Uh, was that Jack Nicholson? Nope. No. Who was in that movie? That would be James Caan. Oh, man. Aaron Brockovich. Julia Roberts. Another good book made into a movie. Just Mercy. I don't know that one. That would be Michael B. Jordan. Okay. And last one. And there's a bunch of these, but he, he's in all of them. Iron Man. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger? I don't know. That I don't watch the movies. Robert Downey Jr. Oh, yeah, I don't watch those movies. <laughs> um, here's, a, here's something. Here's a segment that could be a book. It's called Dead or Alive. Okay. I'll give you a celebrity. Well, it doesn't have to be an actor, but someone who's famous. Tell okay. me, you know, Dead or Alive. Here we go. Okay. Dead or Alive. James Caan. I think, I don't know. Gotta pick know. one. Gotta pick one. Dead? What's your, what's your gut say? Dead? He is dead. He just died. <laughs> okay. Like, like a month ago. Yeah. Actor William Hurt. Kirk? Hurt. Oh, Hurt. I think Alive. Dead. He oh. just recently died. Too. <laughs> Actor William Shatner, a.k.a. Star Trek. Oh, he's alive. He's alive still. He is alive. Yeah. Queen Elizabeth II. Oh, she's alive, right? I hope. She is. She is yeah, still. Okay. I mean, she's up there, but she's alive. I know. She's any. I Yeah, I worry about her a little bit. Uh, talk show host and former mayor, actually, Jerry Springer. I have no idea. Crazy TV show. He's alive. Okay. Barbara Walters. She's alive. She is alive. Last one. Meatloaf, the singer, not the food. I think Meatloaf is dead. He is dead. Died yeah. this year. I mean, <laughs> a lot of deaths this year. This segment is new. I'm just going to try it. I don't even have a correct name for it. It's called One or the Other. Okay. I'm going to give you a choice. Mm -hmm. And if you choose one, the other one is out forever. All right. All right. Here we go. Cat or dog? Dog. Pizza or pasta? Pizza. Wow. Shocking. I love pasta. I love both. I think I know the answer on this one. Movies or books? Books. Correct. Wine or beer? Wine. Used to be beer, but I'm older now. Has <laughs> to be. I can't do beer anymore. Yeah. <laughs> okay. As age, things change. I hear you. <laughs> Uh, Pacino or De Niro? And I mean, you know, sitting down and have dinner or something, not like... You know. Oh, De Niro. Yeah. Oh, I got to go Pacino. He's my number one um, fantasy guest. You don't know him, do you? I do. Al Pacino. I mean, I don't know no, him that... personally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're in LA. I was taking a shot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ice cream or chocolate? Hmm, probably chocolate. Okay, because you could always have chocolate ice cream. Yeah, that's true, but probably chocolate. Okay, steak or lobster? Uh oh, that's a tough one. Um, hmm, probably steak. Okay, last one. Now I'm talking luxury here. Okay. Train or plane? Plane. Wow. A luxury plane over a luxury yeah. train. Yeah. Okay. 
So what's coming up in the future for Julie Clark plans? I'm working on my next book um, and, you know, gearing up for a new school year, getting my kids off and back to school as well. Um, you know, looking forward to cooler weather in the fall. I mean, it's not that hot here in Los Angeles, but it's hot for us, which is, you know, high 70s, mid 80s, sometimes up to 90. Um, we don't like that too much. <laughs> so, you know, looking forward to some fall weather and yeah, just closing up this year. But I really appreciate you coming on. Sure. It's been a blast. Um, uh, I will be in touch and have a great day. Thank you. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. There you have it. Julie Clark, author. The Ones We Choose, The Last Flight, The Lies I Tell, all excellent books. I've read one. I'm finishing The Last Flight. But if you Google those titles, you can purchase them uh, right online. I highly recommend it. Great reads, great stories, nice woman, and that's all I got. So until next time, take care. This has been an unmuted podcast with Papa Mutes.